Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and you're listening to Off the Course, the monthly podcast where I talk with golf course superintendents, directors of agronomy, and other turf heads about some of their passions, some of their interests, off the course and off the clock. My guest today is Josh Smith. You might know him as the superintendent at Orinda Country Club just outside San Francisco. You might also know him as Joshua Smith, purveyor of fine art. He has for years, first as a hobby, then as a passion, and then as a side gig, painted some of the finest oil work you have ever seen of golf courses and specific holes. There are some big-name clubs that love his work, that have sold his work and display his work, uh, and he has a lot of really fun projects coming up. We talk about how he balances painting with an obviously demanding job, along with being a husband and being a father. We also talk about how he got into art, despite having no real art history, and lots more. It's a really fun conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it. Off the Course, as always, is sponsored by AquaAid Solutions. AquaAid Solutions has been a leader in innovative solutions for over 36 years. Their desire to lead and innovate for turf managers continues with their current research collaboration with Dr. Jim Brosnan of the University of Tennessee and Phenotype Screen Corporation. Through that collaboration, utilizing x-ray technology, turf managers are provided a definitive look into how worm-powered turf provides a more robust root system that has more mass and deeper roots than a plant not exposed to the product. Visit IWantDeepRoots.com. Again, IWantDeepRoots.com to see the groundbreaking research and value worm-powered turf brings to your agronomic program. Thanks to Aquaid Solutions for sponsoring Off the Course. And now, my conversation with Josh Smith. Our guest this month on Off the Course, a familiar name, a familiar face to folks in the golf course maintenance industry, and perhaps also to some folks in the golf art industry. Josh Smith is the superintendent at Orinda Country Club just outside San Francisco. Josh, you've received some attention pretty much all this year, although you've been doing it for quite some time, for your exquisite, beautiful oil paintings and... It, it's great that you're getting so much attention, and, it, and it's what drew my eye to you. Before anything else, I'm really, really curious, how do you balance golf course maintenance work and, and, a, and a demanding job with this incredible, passionate hobby of yours? Thank you. Yeah, so the, the good news is there's usually not a hard, finished timeline on my oil paintings, so... You know, on the commissions that, I, that I'll get, um, which have been really steady, um, I try and give them a rough estimate of when the painting might be completed, and then don't always hit that number. Um, and so it comes after family and after my day job of, you know, being a head superintendent at the Arenda Country Club. So the best way to you know answer that is just prioritize what comes first and then 
painting ends up happening some evenings, a lot of weekends, and uh, oddly enough, during when I'm on vacation, I do some some painting and things. So that's the best way to probably handle that, I think. And you have really only been in the maintenance side of the industry for not nearly as long as you've been painting. You were on the architecture side for quite a while, weren't you? Yeah, it was. Uh, I started, you know, out of St. Mary's College where I played golf on the team and had lowest scoring average, you know, my junior year and studied business but didn't want to go into a cubicle. So I kind of went out and had an informational interview to discuss what, with a course course builder, what what path you might take to get into golf building or golf design. And he said, if you want to get into golf design, sounds like you do, you, you probably would benefit from building a course, building courses for a few years with a larger contractor and kind of learn the ropes. And then if you love that, you'd go back to get landscape architecture degree in and head out and try and, you know, design golf courses. And so I ended up building golf courses for five and a half years. And towards the end of that is when I took up oil painting. So I, I probably started oil painting about three years before I started getting into the greenskeeping side of things and, and going down the path of trying to be a superintendent. So if I didn't mention that, yeah, at 25 years old, I started oil painting. And uh, it was in Sedona, Arizona, uh, building a Tom Weiskopf course, which is now four seasons. And we had weekends off, and that was very uncommon in that line of work to have both days free. And so I needed to fill my time with something, and I had seen a really neat oil painting in the airport in Phoenix and got up to Sedona and and called the first art store I, I could find. And uh, it was a Sunday, I believe, and it, the art store, I left a message for her, and she called me back and said, I can come open the store for you I'm just down the street. So she, she actually met me at the store, opened up the store, and we I got a starter set of oil paints and and just loved it from day one. So you were 25 when you started. What sort of art background had you had besides maybe some art classes in, I have to imagine, elementary school, middle school, maybe high school? Right. I didn't do anything serious. It was just I was always like the second best drawer or, or, you know, making cartoons or whatever. It was always somebody better than me. And uh, so I enjoyed it. My mom was fairly artistic, more abstract. And, well, she did a little bit of everything, but she wasn't an artist. She was a teacher, just a teacher and uh, well, not just a teacher, elementary school teacher. And so I just I just drew growing up a bit, not a lot, but always had this, you know, wild oat and thought well once once i saw once i saw this painting and i was like oh, i got so much free time i it seems to me go poorly if i don't have a better hobby i mean i can only go jogging for 20 minutes if that <laughs> you know what, what am i gonna do the rest of the two days per weekend so um that was it and um not a lot of you know early on in the first two years just kind of looking at books and painting and then i started taking some mentoring classes once a week with an artist nearby and now I'm occasionally go down to like a workshop maybe once every few years with a favorite artist but mostly just trying to get the hours in and never be scared to try to push it and do new things and it's fun I mean it's, I really like it uh, and it turned into a 
went from a hobby to a way to make money really quickly, um, which is crazy, and I didn't really expect that. So, you know, and I can go into that if, you, if you'd like to hear. Definitely want to get into where your works are now and, and if you can talk about any of the folks who've, who've commissioned works from you, but I, I kind of want to circle back just for a minute. Growing up, you said you were you were always a drawer, and, and I think when you say that, you know, pencils and pens and maybe markers, and but not anything as sophisticated or, or I don't want to say old-fashioned, but like old master style as an oil painting. Had you had any oil painting experience or was it just a, a, a thought of seeing one, like you said, and, and I'd like to try that? Yeah, no, no experience um, at all with painting other than just, you know, the art elective where you might have had a watercolor for a minute. Um, no oil painting ever until that point. You know, probably watched Bob Ross on TV, though, and so <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably didn't look, you know, he makes it look pretty fun and easy. So no actual painting experience until that point. God bless the late Bob Ross. He has inspired so many people, and I wish that more of his shows were still on the air and, and regularly available for folks. I'm glad that you watched him. Yeah. <laughs> so when you started at 25, other than going back to watching Bob Ross as a kid like so many of us did, what did you, you said you got a lot of books. Who were you reading or who were you studying? Whose works were you kind of, maybe not even emulating, but just kind of inspired by? It wasn't It wasn't really a deep delve into art history or anything like that. It was more just like techniques and oil painting and just then looking for, and in those technique type books, you'd find, you know, you'd find a few of those in the bookshelf and then you'd find the one that showed an artist that, you know, he liked more than the other. And so then you gravitate toward that book probably. And so you're, you're kind of like, well, this, this turned out really cool. And so you're starting to kind of emulate some of the things that that particular artist might've shown and just trying to learn. The first visit I made to a store when I got the oil paints was more just to find pictures of golf courses. And then it is, I'd like to paint from some photos. And so I remember my initial visit, I think that place was called the Celebration of Golf, this massive golf superstore, which I so neat. It was out of nowhere to me. I didn't even know it existed, but uh, Tom Weisskopf's assistant, Phil Smith, told me about this place. So I drove from Sedona to Phoenix and checked checked into this, you know, this library of golf books, but for purchase. It wasn't a library. Yeah, so that's it. I, I never just you know bought Rembrandt's books or anything crazy like that. It was more just techniques and then starting to go on your own i guess and for as much training as i imagine you've you've had self-taught training a lot of it i'm sure you said you've gone to some workshops and you've you've spent some time with artists you like but a lot of this is self-taught what kind of process did you go through or was it just a matter of well i love this and it turns out i have a natural ability too there's been a few paintings where we didn't never really finished you know just never got off the ground but in most cases it starts with a cool idea concept and then you start painting it and um i usually uh more often than not i'm working top to bottom like back to front like sky trees mid-ground foreground that type of thing um and usually you know there's a there's a 
period where it's kind of an ugly duckling for a while, obviously. And then, and a lot of times, you know, you just hit your groove at some point in the painting and it starts to really look like something special. And I feel like that, you know, there's some paintings that look great all the way through. Like you can just take a picture of it at every stage and it's like, wow, this is cool. And I'd be proud to show this off. Others, there's an ugly duckling stage, I'd say, where um, you just keep working on it and then keep refining it and step back and see what works, what doesn't, and where you want to push it. And then I think the hardest thing about painting is to know when you're done. And, you know, you can do too much for sure. You can just keep noodling at it and you start to lose a lot of the freshness of it and the... I don't know. Yeah, just uh, as you go, you know, <laughs> sometimes working with bigger brushes is better than smaller brushes because you're not, you know, just trying to get over the detail and you're going more broad strokes and trying to, you know, emulate the real beauty of what you have instead of just trying to make it a photograph. So each, each painting tends to follow somewhat of a similar process for me. Have you seen your work, I imagine you have, but I guess how have you seen your work evolve and maybe improve over the years, especially since you started? Is it is it in that detail? Is it in knowing when to stop, or is it something else? Yeah, I think um, I think I started out originally more detailed and not probably seeing the colors. Well, so when, you first, when I first started, I was painting a tree like, I thought a tree would look rather than reacting to what I was actually looking at. So I remember turning out some pretty, pretty bad trees and, um, and kind of going back to square one with some of that. So, you know, maybe some earlier art training would have saved me from some of that. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I would say in general, yeah, trying to be more detailed early on was a problem for me with the first, paintings I did and kind of I like to uh, I've seen some of, some of my favorite artists be super loose with things and that's also really attractive to me so just trying to you know hopefully my paintings have a bit of a voice of their own and um, and that's what attracts you know golf architects to them perhaps like Ben Crenshaw and Bill Corr and Tom Doak have all kind of written me you know nice things and um, you know, endorsements in a way um, where it's it's so real, it's realistic, yet it's got this element of impressionism in there that is appealing to us. And, you know, comments like that where I feel like golf courses are so natural, can be so natural now, where there was maybe a dark period where there weren't many natural golf courses presented that way. Um, it's a good fit for what I like to paint to see a lot of that now. In mentioning Tom Doak, I think it was the golf.com story that indicated uh, Tom Doak may have been kind of your your uh, your big break there. This from the, the golf.com story in February. In an email exchange with Pacific Dunes architect Tom Doak, you shared images of your paintings. He expressed interest in buying one, which he did, the upper green of the ninth hole at Pacific Dunes. It hangs in his office. Doak also offered you a job working for him and Jim Urbina, on a renovation project at San Francisco Golf Club. And it was that connection, this is such a great quote, that Urbina basically told you, there are a lot of people trying to be architects, but not a lot of people with your oil painting skills. 
That's that's a, that's right. a pretty high praise too, I think. Yeah, it was neat. I mean, he's he's kind of a he's a he's a really great great guy, and he's a background in teaching. Yeah, and looking back on it, I think he was it was a teaching moment for me. It was like you know, I I, I think I can give this guy uh, a tip here on uh, it will be beneficial to him. <laughs> and coming from him, it meant it meant a lot. It was true, and uh, I traveling around and building golf courses was. Um, was never going to be easy to build them like the way I was for five and a half years. It's like four to six months somewhere, move on. Four to six months somewhere, eight months rather, probably a year maybe. And then, so that's not an easy lifestyle. And then, if you tried to be a golf architect, which by that time I had met a few super, super uber talented architects who I would trust with, you know, oceanfront land if I had it. Yet it wasn't that easy for them to really soar. And so it was like, you kind of saw the writing on the wall where, wow, that would be a real challenge to, to try and be a golf course designer for me, even though I thought I may have plenty of reasons to excel at that and would absolutely love it. It, I think the oil painting for me is just a much nicer fit and no, you know, no regrets on that at all. Maintaining golf courses is something I've, really grown to love i love being in early and having some free time in the afternoons and being outdoors seeing nature taking i mean my phone has sixty thousand photos on it i'm just taking photos all the time you know thank god for the apple here um it's been great it's been a nice fit for me one light-hearted question before we get back into art how much storage do you have on your phone that you have sixty thousand images right now, or is it an external hard drive that you put? It no, to? they're on. They're on it. I mean, I guess they're just in the cloud. I keep upgrading the cloud, okay. so they're. I can't probably go to every sixty thousand of those in a in a moment's notice, but that's the number that shows up. And I promise you, not too many of those are selfies. <laughs> and that's sixty thousand over how many years? Would you say? Uh, those are probably since I got my first iPhone, I, I would think. So that would have been, uh, about the time I started here. So that's probably 60,000 photos over less than six years. Wow. I mean, it, it's a part of your work and it's a part of both your, your day job and your, your, your side job slash hobby. So it makes sense that, that you've got a lot of photos. Yeah, and then having, you know, my first two daughters in those six years, sure. seven years, there's there's obviously a, a lot of kid photos and family photos on it, too. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I only bring it up because you had it on Twitter yesterday. Uh, you celebrated an anniversary uh, just recently. I did as well, so happy anniversary. And, and like you said, you've got two daughters, so you are also a hashtag girl dad. So it's nice to right. talk with other girl dad club members. Yeah, happy anniversary to you, too. Thank you. Great. Thank you. It was uh like I said in the text message to you, it was a very hot day. I hope yours was a little more amenable for yourself yeah. and for guests. It was. <laughs> you said a while back, uh, both in some of the other stories and, and on this podcast, you said that it went very quickly from being a hobby to being something that you found out you could make money doing. What was the What was the turnaround? Was it months? Was it a year or two before this became more of a side job and less of just a hobby it was probably a solid two years of painting 
before I actually had like anyone I didn't ever meet before that was interested in the painting. So um, it took you know a year and a half to two years before I really reached and anyone outside of my circle. And then you know it was kind of just like sell a painting to my roommate slash landlord to cover my month's rent. And then it was then it was like oh he paid seven fifty so I'll double that. <laughs> and then. Everyone, you know, it just kept being like, you know, you got to raise your prices, you got to raise your prices, and uh, and well, I'm scared to do that. And then, uh, lo and behold, you know, it's kind of like double your price, double your price, and so it kept getting, you know, it's a it's a one of a kind. You know, it's like, well, it's more expensive than a TV, though, but but not everyone's going to have this thing. Everyone can have that TV. So it's funny how the pricing of things work. Uh, obviously, yeah, it was it was kind of like that, and when it would, you know, prices would kind of like double during 12 months and then uh at some point they kind of level out where <laughs> you can't keep raising your prices i did you know i did start making um G-Clay reproductions not not very recently either like seven or eight nine years ago starting to sell reproductions of my oil paintings too which you know helps with the uh the affordability of, of decent sized art pieces how much did that early reaction surprise you well, raise your raise your prices, raise your prices. I don't want to do that. Raise your prices, and you do, and people then continue to pay it, and they pay more. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. Like, I mean, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> I think I'd seen other artists in golf who had lots of digits behind. <laughs> was it six six figures? Uh, Five figures, I guess. Five figures, high five figures, mid five figures. Um, so I kind of knew there was a chance that I could charge, start charging more money and stuff. But um, it's crazy. I mean, I've seen some really large sums of money for listed on golf paintings, and so it, I knew it was kind of a potential. But um, it was cool to see myself get there. It was. I think it was during my time at San Francisco Golf Club was the easiest way to kind of point to that. I I was invited to paint there. Um, and you know they didn't allow photos on the golf course. You know they don't they don't want you to be sharing those things. And they invited me to paint it, take some photos and paint. And I remember the first one I sold was you know fifteen hundred dollars, and then it was like I was selling them for twice that and a little more. Um, and it was really cool. So I know that's about when uh, when it was happening, and um, probably coincides with when I got a chance to be uh, showing artwork at the Pebble Beach gallery that was off the um off the putting green there at pebble beach um i was sharing joanne dost was the photographer and she was she still is a great photographer and helping me out with her kind of management company a little bit and being able to say you're selling work at pebble beach and they had set some prices for you it didn't hurt obviously so. <laughs> yeah, you've had work displayed at pebble beach and sold at pebble beach and abandoned dunes is a big fan of yours as well. A lot of the folks up there. Who were some of the first folks, or some of the first clubs, or both, to really reach out and say, "We love this. We believe in you. Let's let's do some work together." The California Golf Club, where I where I was working, uh, one of my well, basically my first job in greenskeeping. I spent seven and a half years, you know, at California Golf Club, and we remodeled the golf course. Year one, I was there. Year two, I guess. And um, Kyle Phillips, the architect who designed King's Barns and redesigned Cal, uh, Cal Club, he asked me to, to paint 
you know, rendering of what the new seventh hole would look like, which was just on a, a huge piece of property inside the golf course that didn't have, it was just a dump area. So I kind of started with a lot of cow club paintings and they were, you know, they ended up, you know, having me paint a few things and they have my painting in the men's bar. The Meadow Club, which is Alistair McKenzie's first course in North America, that's above Marin in Fairfax. They had they remodeled their clubhouse, and they had me do a painting uh, for the very, very entrance, right as you walk in, and uh, it was Meadow Club as it appeared in 1927, oh, cool. without as many trees when it was more meadowish. So those are a couple. Obviously, Bannon Dunes was wonderful and mike kaiser the owner had um i met some of his friends at chicago golf club and got in touch with mike kaiser and he had me do a painting and i ended up you know selling some paintings up at bandon uh, pebble beach as we mentioned and san francisco golf club was was big i mean it was tom doe had me in there working with them and introduced me to the greens chairman and then i sold you know four probably five or six paintings in two years good size originals to San Francisco golf club members and um, like the head pro who's there now, Ashley, he has a, a large oil painting of mine original behind his desk. You know, I haven't gotten a lot of work going back East. I've done some Scotland and Ireland paintings, but never for clubs or just for individuals. And uh, it's been really fun though. I admittedly do not know much about the art world in general, or the golf art world in particular. Is there sort of a divide between West, East, and Europe? Is it is it easy to, to get into work with East Coast clubs or, or European clubs? I don't know. Uh, Europe, Europe is probably a little more challenging. I've never been over there. I, I'm sure there's a wealth of talent over there, old masters type stuff. It would be amazing to, to travel over there and do some more paintings, obviously. Um, and then East Coast, I think it, it more has to do with I, when I started painting is word of mouth stuff. Word of mouth travels better, you know, in a smaller area. And I was always painting from my own photos early on. And so I had been to some of the places back east, some of the great places, uh, national golf links and, you know, things like that. So, I mean, just less exposure, less photos of my own. That's probably the main reason I hadn't gotten a lot back east, and I think I will more. But uh, I remember doing a painting of National Golf Links with the windmill, and it was for a golf architecture, golf club atlas founder, basically. And I put it on my blog. <clears throat> and then months later... Um, my friend was working as the assistant greenskeeper there, and he happened to be in the pro shop. Uh, and the head pro and the assistant pro had pulled up my painting on the web, and my friend Tim didn't, you know, didn't introduce it, didn't even know it was going on. And he's like, "You'll never believe this." I was in the pro shop, and the guys pulled up your painting, and, and I told him, "Hey, I know that guy." And so, you know, I, you know, initially you're like worried, "Oh no, am I in trouble that I painted National Golf Links?" And then they said, "No, we." we'd like to get you on the phone because we're having the Walker cup in 16 months or 10 months. And, uh, would love that. The idea of maybe having you do a painting for the Walker cup. And, um, boy, too bad. I, you know, two months went by and 
uh, the USGA ends up ends up handling that for us, and we didn't get a chance to do that with you. But yeah, no, it's it's you know, there's always cool stories. That's probably the main reason I'm doing more West Coast. I mean, obviously, Bandon is like one of my favorite place in the world. So most of my paintings have been from Bandon. If you were to kind of draw draw a graph, but and it seems like you're able to compartmentalize your time very well. You've got your your work time at Orinda, and that's marked off. You've got your family time uh, with your wife and daughters, and that's marked off, and you've got some painting time. Is is there ever uh, a time, or have there been times, when one side or the other has just gotten too overwhelming? I know you say you don't have hard deadlines on a lot of the work, uh, on a lot of the painting, but is there ever a time when one, no art pun here intended, but when one bleeds into the other a little bit too much? Uh, no, I don't think so i think you just get i think that this end result is just people are waiting a lot longer than it might have expected for a painting on on a certain occasion and uh that can't let the family slide and just doing my best with managing time with everything and um it hasn't been easy my wife works so that makes it even more challenging she's a teacher um but it's just nice to have you can get away in the afternoon after putting in a full nine hour, you know, whatever, eight to 10 hour a day. And you're still, you still have time to do something with your kids in life. So she gets off earlier too. So that's been a good fit. You're the son of a teacher and the husband of a teacher. Pretty cool. Right. Right. In terms of how oil painting goes with different professions in the golf industry, I can see probably where, it complements golf course architecture well. You kind of have to have a certain eye to do things. How does it complement golf course maintenance, would you say? Well, I think, you know, having a good eye is paramount to both professions. I think you've got to be really observant as a head greenskeeper and noticing things and observing and noting. And obviously having a good eye is paramount to being a good oil painter artist so i think you kind of share that whatever you may have a affinity or you might be blessed with something it might just kind of help you in both arenas um i don't know what why is i am i blessed i don't really know if my i see things differently or better than anyone else probably not but um, i just I, maybe i'm just more into it like i just you know, i kind of fixate on things that i like on out in the golf course more than other things and fixate on things I don't like. And that ends up being, I just have more passion towards what I like and don't like. And that makes me a good superintendent or hopefully. And would you say your eye has improved for not even necessarily the, the painting, but the, the photographs and being able to see the course in different ways, both as an artist and as a superintendent really since you started ramping up your painting would you say yeah i've definitely learned and i think she's even like you know we used to use slr cameras and um now cell phones are just fine and stuff technology's gotten so good i guess i yeah i I think i learned more about taking photos and understanding what i like about photos you know one interesting thing and i can't wrap my head around it um some of my favorite paintings are not even from good photos like i ideally when i'm working on a commission i want to find like the very best photo and know that this painting's got you know kind of be a rock star 
if you will. And then, but some of the best things I've done over the last uh, how many years now? Nineteen years have been from like a black, like a really poor printer quality from my home, like um, where it was really dark. And so it's kind of it's neat because you know maybe you, your eye kind of guides you and what you've seen and like guides you to make that a better painting than having just an A++ photograph to work from. Maybe it can even hold you back in a way because it's like you're not going to you know, put as much of your own spirit into that. You're just going to kind of get what's on the photo into your painting. So I definitely don't have that solved. Um, what I like best, I mean, just a little more safety in knowing you have a really, really great photo, but there's a little more you know, mystery and and in the other regard. And kind of the the flip side of that same question, I try not to ask job related questions or really overtly job related questions on the off the course podcast, but how has oil painting and, and paying such close attention to the course and seeing it in different ways, how has that helped you as a superintendent? I don't know. I, I think it's just I don't know that it I don't know if it's really helped me. It probably has. But I think it just ends up being like I, I, I know what I like to see on a golf course based on what I like to paint. And so I'm just kind of, I'm just trying to maintain our course the way I'd like it to be and like more natural and not a lot of stripes, not uber over the top green all the time. And, um, you know, I played golf, as I mentioned, competitively. And, you know, I'd love to just present a really firm golf course every day. And it's not that easy to do in Northern California when you're, you don't get any rainwater for, seven and a half months so you're, it's hard to get it just right and still have nice turf but there's all those things that go into it i don't know that the painting itself has made me a better greenskeeper i just think i, I kind of know what i like and so it's more of that that um, i think translates into the the golf course and uh, leaving things natural and it's almost going back to that thought of um over overdoing it on the details yeah car path edges would be great if they were really nice and clean but bunker edges i, I don't i just don't love the, the really clean bunker edges i like to i like it to look more lengthy and natural and fescues and, um, sand splashing up and things so you know that those two are the two things are fun to talk about together and i, I don't know that it answers your question right but I, I think that's my best effort at that it sounds like you just appreciate you appreciate modern course architecture, but it's the the older stuff. Mentioning that you did a painting as as uh, the Meadows was in 1927, and and not placing a tremendous emphasis on on bunker edges, just golf as it should be, golf as it is naturally, really. Right. Yeah. I love I love the uh, the the natural. I mean, we we spend a lot of times trying to get our bunkers to look natural. You know, it's like. I just don't like the really crisp, clean edges. I mean, if you if you were to kind of, you know, you got you've obviously seen the very crisp bunker edges at, at some of the courses, like maybe Augusta's presented that way. You know, I, I like that at Augusta. I don't. I wouldn't want that to be what we're doing at Renda. So it's just it's a preference, I guess. And uh, it's you know the, the older courses, things built in the 20s, you know, lend themselves to that. I think depending on who the architect was and things, of course, but it's been a, it's been a neat place. And, uh, 
yeah, to William Watson from 1924, and we're, we're just try, always trying to turn back the clock. Modern techniques and procedures, but try and make it look like it's been here a long time. Yep, fast approaching a centennial here, just a few more years. Yeah. Looking ahead to either the rest of 2020, which is tough in, in any industry right now, uh, and beyond, is there any not even necessarily any project that you have on your, your painting docket, because I don't want you to let anything out of the bag if you don't want to, but are there any courses or any holes even in particular that you haven't had a chance to paint that you would love to to kind of take some brush strokes at here coming up? Good question. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'll be painting Royal County Down in a pretty decent size format scale, like a uh, pretty large size um, coming up. And so I'm, I'm obviously really looking forward to that. I made a choice last year to have had commissions and, um, and I don't get, I don't finish them so quick, right? So it's not like I've got this crazy backlog of commissions, but I've got commissions backlogged. And part of that's because I'm not, you know, crushing out paintings. I made a choice last year to mix in every third painting uh, just a painting that I wanted to do and that's that's something I look forward to is, you know back to the early days where it was like you, you get to pick everything you were going to paint and um, the commissions are also great because almost every case I'm painting something that I want to paint but it's cool to then you know every third painting or every fourth painting to choose something you want to paint like you just described to me and uh so I, I probably I, I probably won't divulge what I've got, what that next painting will be, but I've kind of got a few things in my mind about what that might be. And if folks want to check out your artwork, joshuasmithart.com, how backed up are you on commissions, would you say, right now, if folks were reaching out to you? Um, I usually say that, you know, probably to four months at this point, okay. maybe maybe four to six months. I'm sure there are some superintendents who are listening right now who are thinking, yeah, I'd like one for my office. Yeah, super. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've had a few people talk to me about that. That's cool. And uh, again, joshuasmithart.com, and then you are uh, on Twitter, although there's not a ton of, of artwork there. That's more kind of a, a personal account, right? Joshua C.F. Smith on Twitter. Right. It's a good, good point. I, I should probably have my own separate uh, oil painting on Twitter. I think, that's, uh, I think I'm going to put that on my to-do list. You have a website. That's more than a lot of people have. Yeah. Well, this was great. Glad to finally talk with you. And uh, before I let you go, anything you're looking forward to, again, either painting-wise or maintenance-wise the rest of this year, just, just anything you want to promote either? Yeah, so obviously uh, one thing we didn't talk about at all, I, I think uh, this is definitely something I'm looking to promote. Um, I've had this, this idea, and tell me if you're familiar with it or not, but... Um, I've got a, another side business uh, called Flag Bag Golf Company, and um, I came up with this idea to make a carry bag made out of recycled or flown golf flags that may serve no purpose um, beyond you know, the six months or a year that they were flying on the golf course. And does that sound familiar to you? Well, it's familiar to me because I saw it on your, your Twitter account, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So that is... That has been a very cool distraction during COVID. And my older brother, who plays at Waverly, a, a really great old golf course in Portland, he's running that. 
full time, and we're we're collaborating with a leather bag company called McDonald Leather Goods, and we have a flagbaggolfco.com website, and it's man, it's been so fun. It the uh, energy that people are coming at us with uh, that are supportive of this idea has been uh, off the chart. Really looking forward to you know watching that go. It's really something I'm excited about. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned uh, flagbaggolfco.com, also on Twitter, flagbaggolf. I actually just noticed that uh, the account follows the Golf Course Industry account. Give you guys a follow back. They they look really, really cool. They're primarily Sunday-style bags, right? Yeah, it's a smaller bag, but it fits 14 clubs. So, oh, wow. it's, you know, great to throw in your trunk uh, if you want to, you know, take your whole foursome with you. They all fit. Um, no, it's, it's a bag I've used for 20 years, really. I mean, it's this idea is brand new. It just, just launched three and a half months ago. But um, but the leather bag thing. I've been. You know, I played competitively and I've carried the, the stand bag from Ping and I. That's got its place and it's fun. And but I've always kind of really been about the throwback and um, and so I've always carried like small leather bags and this has been really neat um, and fun and also just tapping into the art artistic side with uh, how this is all coming together. This is just another thing I think that fits in with your old school persona to golf. It sounds like, right? It is. Yeah, I, I like to play old clubs. I play blades from the '80s, maybe early '90s, and like to use wooden woods a lot. And just I think there's a few, a few of those crazy people like that that are out there, and it's fun. And you said your brother's doing a lot of the work on flag bag golf. What's his name? Matt Matt Smith, he's uh, yeah, he's running the flag bag kind of showcase, and uh, he's he has an MBA from Dartmouth, and so he's he's got a lot of a lot of skills that I may not be quite as good at that are they're proving to be helpful as you're launching a business, which I never thought I would launch help launch a business other than my little painting thing. So it sounds like you have absolutely nothing going on. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> So if we were to promote that, we yeah. might say to the superintendents out there, what are you doing with your old flags? Get a hold of us at Flag Bag Golf Company, and we'll sell them back to your member. It will sell bags and sell head covers and top kits and um, valuable pouches, maybe duffel bags. We'll sell your flags back to your members, and, and we'll pay the, the pro shop. We'll make a, a nice, nice cut off of it. And I think it's a really fun reuse, you know. Um, nylon just go to the landfill and they'll stay there for 40 years. So it's got it's got more life and a logoed flag. Let's put it back out there and give it to your members. Yeah, I mean, some people will frame flags, and we have a couple framed flags in the office here. But like you said, a lot of them just get pitched. They might just get too worn down. This is a great second use for them. Yeah, I've got, I've got friends who have a collection in their garage, and it's like, well, no one gets to see those. But if you, got, if you have a bag out there, you're gonna, your foursome's going to see it every time you play. So it, it's fun, fun stuff. That's awesome. Again, flagbaggolfco.com. And uh, Josh Smith, you are at joshuasmithart.com. Josh Smith, the superintendent at Orinda outside San Francisco. This was awesome. I'm, I'm glad we were able to catch up, and, and thank you so much for, for taking the time while you're out walking the course on a beautiful, beautiful weekday morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
My thanks again to Josh Smith for taking the time to talk about his passion and his hobby. My thanks to Aqua Aid Solutions, as always, for sponsoring Off the Course. And my thanks to all of you for listening to Off the Course and the Superintendent Radio Network. We'll be back next week with a new issue of Beyond the Page going a little bit deeper into the July issue. In two weeks, Guy Cipriano will be back with another episode of Tartan Talks. And in three weeks, the rotation flipped around a little bit this month. We'll be back with episode number 11 of Off the Course. Until then, thanks so much and have a great day.